The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Okay, so welcome back. So here's what we'll do. We're just going to touch on some of the main points. We won't be able to get into a lot of the whys of it. Let's look on, if you look on page three at the bottom of your notes, I want to look at this important sutta. So the word sutta, I mentioned earlier, the discourses, satipatthana sutta. Let me ask a question. I hope people won't feel uncomfortable. It's fine. Is there anyone here who's... um, doesn't know what the four foundation of mindfulness is, has, has no exposure to it? Okay. Yeah? Okay. So I'm just going to say something briefly. I think we've all been had some exposure then, right? That there's this four foundations of the mindfulness. The first one is these six different practices. We don't have to memorize all the practices, but mainly it's awareness of the body, mindfulness of the body. The second foundation, Vedana, mindfulness of the pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, what they call feeling tone or quality that accompanies any experience. The third foundation is, is sort of called, it, it's sometimes like it's of the mind, but the mind and the heart. And there's a specific list there. Whether any of greed, hatred, or delusion is present, whether the mind's concentrated or not concentrated, you know, it's a hateful mind or not, all these states. Really, it's more of the heart. And the fourth foundation called Dhammas is, is awareness of all these lists of, um, I won't go through them all, but, but um, um, uh, four, um, uh, sorry, my brain's going out, of, of hindrance, hindrances, sense, sense bases, factors of enlightenment, what do I, uh, um, four noble truths, what do I miss, uh, hindrances? Uh, are they in there also? Okay, yeah. Four, four noble truths, um, five, uh, six sense bases, five hindrances, seven factors of enlightenment. Was there another one in there? Oh, well. Right. So it's basically mindfulness of of anything, right? Is what it is. So um, ah, five aggregates. That's what I forgot. So um, let me just say a few things, and we can have some discussion about this if you'd like, but I want to kind of throw out there a few sort of common ways that the sutta is understood and practiced. And you may have another way that I'm not getting, just one or two main ways. So if you were to go on, say, a typical Spirit Rock Vipassana retreat, or one taught out of IMC here in in our scene, a common way you would hear, not the only way, but a common way you would hear practice is you might start with some kind of foundational practice. It might be the breath, say, for example. It could be other things. And you might stay with that for a day or two in your practice until you start to get a little concentrated and settled. And then they would have you open the awareness up in consciously to include the other parts of the other things to be mindful of, expand out to be mindful of other experiences in the body other than the breath and feeling tone and things going on in the mind and emotion, right? And they would slowly expand out. So eventually there's nothing in your inner or outer experience that would be excluded as we can work with anything with mindfulness, right? And some of the ways, depending on the teacher that it might get taught is some teachers might say, 
um, continue to give the breath certain amount of emphasis, but whatever, if something else is strong and predominant, let go of the breath and go to that, and then come back to the breath like the home base. You hear that a lot. Another way it might get taught is once you um, maybe have used the breath a little bit and you get settled, you don't give any preference to the breath. There's no preference to anything. It's just whatever it is that's predominant in your awareness in a moment. It's kind of the same thing, but it's, it's even giving less preference to the breath, right? You just, so you just try to be open and receptive to whatever is there. Some styles of practice more use are more a sense of doing, putting your mind, bringing your attention to this, bringing your attention to that. Other styles might be more receptive, just the way pe- teachers talk, right? Where you're just kind of being open and present and things are being known, but you're not sort of going to the objects. It's just, it's just a knowing that happens, right? So there's lots of different ways that this sutta's talked about. Um, I want to point out one other way that it, it, it can be thought of also. One way is kind of what I've just been saying is that once you've kind of opened up to it, that it's just a, a big collection of all the different ways that we can be mindful. So it's, it's not any particular order. It's just mainly pointing out to be some specifics of being mindful of anything. Um, there's two other ways that it can be thought of, and, and they're both versions of a sequential progression. You, and these are all good, too. It's not like a right or wrong. I'm just naming them. As a sequential progression, you could say, start with the breath, and then as you get settled, now I can open up to um, the four postures. I won't go into detail, but that's the next one. Sitting, standing, walking, lying down. Then I can be open to any activities. right? And you can work through the body. And then I can slowly open to sequentially through now being mindful of uh, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. So there's a whole other way it can be thought of also which has been more the way that I've practiced, and that is um, rather than prescriptive, it can almost be thought of being descriptive. It can, can be a description of what happens if you give a lot of emphasis to the breath. Once again, here I am, a breath meditator, so I'm sort of ascribing experientially another way it can happen. And it describes what happens naturally with a as the samadhi deepens and strengthens, but in a way that stays connected to your body and experience rather than loses it, even as far as you take it, maybe even to jhana or whatever, where through the breath you get sort of, it does get narrower as you get concentrated, but then either on its own or through some guidance, it starts to open up naturally. So you're just natural, you're in this still place, but you naturally, the mindfulness of the body is clear and known and it's happening very strongly. And naturally, whether the experience is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral is known. And then subtler even than that is the states of the mind and the heart, right? And so, um, and so you just, it's just known more clearly. And even thoughts as they're bubbling up and passing away are known. And, and all these, the fourth foundation starts to reveal themselves, the Four Noble Truths, and we're aware of the five aggregates or the sense, not all of these at once, but the sense doors or the sense spaces. And 
and so, or when the hindrances are there or not. So that's another possible way that you could look at how to approach the Satipatthana Sutta. Right? So, no comments necessary. If you want to, you can raise your hand and talk about it. We're going to stay on this for a bit longer if something comes up to share about it. But I just want to kind of put that all out as different ways that it could be approached. If you meditate in a way that was like the Vasudhimaga style and you're doing samatha tranquility practice, you are not, by definition, you are not going to naturally be opening up more and more and more if you're, if you're very concentrated to the full range of mind-body experiences because you're getting fixed one-pointed concentration. So you can see why you've got to come out of that to do this. If you're practicing in one way you can interpretate, interpret the suttas, which is this more unified mind, if, say, you were having that style of samadhi, you can see then, no matter how deeply concentrated you got, when we were saying it's the mind is still and unmoving, but the flow of experiences is just known, that this could open itself up in that way and it doesn't separate out into different paths so much, right? Where going into the jhana state, it's, it's the jhana, but it's also deepening the um, uh, the mindfulness and the knowing of all that. So you're more deeply connected into the satipatthana, uh, uh, all of it there. So it's just another approach. And that's the breath meditation approach that I kind of do. I tend to interpret, personally, this is my interpretation, that that's kind of what the suttas really originally meant. Just because when you bring in all these other pieces about how much the jhana is connected with body awareness. And remember there was those 11, now, now we want to go back, there was those 11 other factors that were present in all the jhanas, all four jhanas. Mindfulness, sense contact, investigation. Remember there was a whole list that's in there? That's all happening in the jhana there. It's telling you that explicitly. So again, these are just different interpretations. But it seems to me that that's kind of what the suttas are. If you start to piece these all together, it's kind of, to me, is pointing more in that kind of direction. It's just a different way. I want to give you one quote that, oh, it's on the bottom of page three. So I said when you're doing, so it says, I, 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 this quote is at the very bottom of page three said, when engaged in satipatthana contemplations, if the mind does not become concentrated, that's me just emphasizing that. I, I, because I didn't want to quote the whole sutta there, I just kind of paraphrased. The, the defilements are not abandoned, the mind does not pick up the sign of concentration, which is interesting, the nimitta. This is when you're doing satipatthana sutta, it's saying if, if you don't get concentrated, and the meditator does not gain a pleasant dwelling, the pleasant life, nor does one gain mindfulness and clear comprehension. And there's the Samyutsa Nikaya uh, reference if you want to look it up. Now, it doesn't say jhana, but it's certainly pointing to um, a strong degree of samadhi as having some importance in the Satipatthana Sutta. Now, because we're emphasizing this a lot, and especially because we're on the Satipatthana Sutta, um, remember I said today I was going to be saying over and over again that there's not a right or wrong? 
probably said that enough today. I think I've done it 10 or 12 times. That's probably a minimum amount, but it's enough. We'll still forget, right? But uh, Well, the other thing I've been saying a lot that is equally important, I'll probably have to say it a few more times, is that um, we are not saying you've got to get Samadhi or you've got to get John. Or, there's no you've got to get. We just practice. And the starting point is always what is actually happening in our awareness. And we bring the mindfulness right to that. It's, even if we didn't ever think of samadhi or we were de-emphasizing samadhi, that's how we'd be practicing. Right? We still want to practice in exactly that way. The only, if you're interested in samadhi for your practice, the only thing you're adding in, don't fall into the trap of i got to get or oh, now I've got to get samadhi and I'm not having samadhi. No. Be happy just where you're at. But sure, if you'd like, you can just add in a style of practice that naturally unfolds in a certain way. And then we'll practice in that way, and we can be quite ardent in our practice in that way. And we can take it as far as we choose, all the while being relaxed and at ease with whatever's actually happening in our experience. And in fact, even if you go on long-term intensive retreat and you're doing nothing but these practices heading for samadhi, any of you who've done it know, and I can guarantee you, that you'll have plenty of times when there's other things happening. The mind's just not concentrating. Maybe you had this morning, I had this great sit, and I came back from lunch and I was all blissed out, and now I come back and you know what? Just can't concentrate. Or the body's hurting or whatever. And so you just go back, right back to dropping back to well, what's actually happening. So we just want to keep that in mind. I meant to say it earlier, and it's just sort of a general comment because that's a real trap we can fall into, especially on a day on samadhi and jhana. And then we've got to think, oh, and especially because I'm sitting here saying, well, I think the suttas are, you know, this is, are saying, you know, that the satipatthana is actually a practice for attaining sutta-style jhana. And then we go, oh, geez, I've got to get jhana. No, we don't have to get anything. I would like to redefine right samadhi, if I may. Buddha's not around anymore, right? (laughs) What's he going to (laughs) say? I would like to, rather than saying right samadhi is the four jhanas, as the suttas say, I would like to say right samadhi culminates in the four jhanas, but that right samadhi is always right samadhi wherever you're at if we bring right view and right effort and right intention. And I think, I was trying to be humorous, but I think that uh, from just the way it's been handed down in the suttas that the Buddha would approve of that. If you've never meditated in your life, you've just got what you've got in samadhi, whatever your natural level is. That's not, well, you've got wrong samadhi. No. We work with that and we head in a certain direction. It's the right view, the right intention, the right effort. All the other, these are pieces of the Eightfold Path I'm naming. If they're coming in, again, to the best we can, you're not going to have them perfectly, perfect either. And then we don't suffer along this path that's aimed to take us to an end of suffering. And that's what's so important. I meant to say that to this degree when we started off this morning and I forgot. So having said it now, I feel free just to go on and just now talk about John and Samadhi without qualifying it. Um, 
Well, let me just say a few more things here. One more quote that, did I put it in your notes? Yes, at the top of page four. Of your notes. What is concentration? What is basis? That word there was nimitta in the Pali. What is, so it's basis of concentration. Unification of mind is concentration. I could have said one-pointedness, but remember I'm translating the suttas. I only say one-pointedness when I'm, it's the same Pali term, ekagata, is concentration. And the four foundations of mindfulness are the basis of concentration. The suttas are saying the four foundations of mindfulness are the basis for developing one single-pointedness of mind or unification of mind. Right there. It doesn't mean that the suttas are useless unless you have jhana. Again, it's wherever you're at about it, but I think it's pointing towards something. And the second quote there, in one of right view, right intention comes into being. In one of right intention, right speech comes into being. On and on and on, sequentially through the eightfold path. Until finally, in one of right mindfulness, right concentration comes into being, which we know is jhana. Again, we're taking all of these suttas together to inform how we understand them. So from all of these pieces, to me, it sure seems like uh, you'd think they would have just come out and said, okay, look, here's jhana, four-founded, but it just, maybe these evolved piecemeal. But um, It may be historically that these were piecemeal. It wasn't the original intention. You know, and maybe coming back now to, to, to you, rather than saying um, you can't find consistency in the suttas, which you could say, right? I've said, and if you read this book in the introduction, I said the methodology I'm using is, is rather than say that, is to see if we can use the suttas to inform each other to, to come up with something. I think at least it's more useful to see if there's kind of a consistent message here. So again, you can see that it's not clear and there could be room for interpretation, right? But I, you see why I'm saying. Okay, Samadhi's mentioned in the Satipatthana Sutta in only three places. And I list them here. In the third foundation of mind, it says, you understand a concentrated mind is concentrated, unconcentrated is unconcentrated. It doesn't say get concentrated. It just says you understand whatever's there. Second place is in the fourth foundation in the second section on the seven factors of enlightenment. And you know if the concentration enlightenment's factor is present or not. You know that it's there, is what it's saying, not or not. You know it's there. Right? And the third place it appears is, is also in the fourth, but um, some of you may not have been the way aware, the Satipatthana Sutta exists in two places in the suttas. In the middle length discourses, it's the Satipatthana Sutta. And in the long discourses, it's called the Maha Satipatthana Sutta. Maha means great. And it's identical to the Satipatthana Sutta, except in the fourth foundation on the section on the Four Noble Truths. It expands it so it lists out the whole Eightfold Path. So in there, in the Maha Satipatthana version, it lists the Eightfold Path. And it says, write Samadhi. And what is it? And then it goes right into the jhana defi- definition of the four jhanas. So it says explicitly, write Samadhi is there. Um, so, um, 
this could be interpreted to mean, all of these, if you put all of this together, to mean that Satipatthana is the practice leading to jhana, and that jhana is the fruit of Satipatthana practice. That's what Tan Jeff would say. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I'm saying that's the way I practice and interpret it. And if you want to interpret it a different way and practice in a different way, that's, that's cool too. Right? If you forget about John and everything, you can just take it that way also. I don't think it's what the sutta is saying, but you can make your own judgment here. You see some of these quotes. There's a lot I left out in your notes. Um, I just didn't have a place, and there's a bunch of other quotes and, you know, just trying to get... And, and one... By the way, I did this day-long class at Spirit Rock, and one person came up and they said, well, you know, Richard, it, it was a good class, enjoyed it, blah, blah, but boy, it just seemed like you're trying to convince people and make it... But, so I want to be really clear about that. Um, I don't feel that way. What I'm trying to do is just... is 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 uh, I don't care what conclusion anyone draws. I'm just trying to say, let's take a good look at what it's saying, and I am telling you what I think. But I'm not trying to say, well, see, it really is true because here's another quote that backs me up that says I'm right. No. I just want to look closely at what it's saying and point them out. Um, So what I do want to point out, though, is the fact that the Satipatthana Sutta ends... So try to summarize. The Satipatthana Sutta ends in... Uh, uh, fulfills the seven factors of enlightenment. That's the ending part of the sutta. tells us that. We can tie the culmination of seven factors of enlightenment to jhana very clearly. We did that earlier. The fact that there's a few quotes not in the sutta that says the basis of unification of mind is the the four foundations of mindfulness. The fact that when it's using the word samadhi, we can just now we're we're interpreting now, but you know, uh, let's put it this way: in the third instance, where um, knowing that right concentration is jhana, you know, we could think that the Buddha is just not telling us to attain jhana, but just I mean, would he tell us to to, to come to know deeply that right samadhi is jhana, but not attain that? It doesn't fit for me. So, I, I guess I would say it this way. I think you can reasonably say there's a strong suggestion of the interpretation I'm saying. And I'll leave it at that. As a matter of fact, I was very careful, because if you look on page 15, the last page of your Of your notes, I have a table comparing jhana in the suttas and the Vasudhi Maga. You can refer to that later. And when I say insight meditation practice on the left-hand side, I go, you can see it down there halfway down. I say insight must come while not in jhana in the Vasudhi Maga. But under the suttas, I say suggests that insight practice can be undertaken within jhana. So I'm trying to say it in a way that's not too... Dogmatic. I'm saying suggests. I actually do, my own opinion is I do think it's stronger than that, but I want to be, I don't think you can be too, you know, you have to leave it open. So I'll leave it at that on the Satipatthana Sutta unless anybody wants to. um, I'll say one more thing actually. 
the way I've been talking about it is a way in which practices such as breath meditation or others too, where a single practice like that can fulfill but you get at least the way I'm talking about how breath meditation can fulfill the whole Satipatthana and John and everything. Other practices might do the same thing. So this is kind of getting an idea how all these different practices that are, can be just one way can also open up into everything else. That's the point. W- whatever way you're practicing in. Okay. Can we move on? Okay. Page four of your notes. I'm not going to go into much detail there. I don't actually give you much detail. But there's another sutta called the Anapanasati Sutta. Mindfulness of breathing. Ana, in-breathing, pana, out-breathing sutta. I didn't list the 16 steps for those of you who are not familiar. It actually has 16 specific steps it breaks up to. And I just want to leave it for here. If you want more details, I could either email you or you just can go glance in the book. Um, I go into detail, but um, there's a wide range of interpretations on how much samadhi it's talking about. But if you look at the steps, the, you know, it starts with actually the first four steps are the identical from the Satipatthana Sutta on, the, on your breath meditation. And the last steps are four are clearly insight steps. And in between, there's steps where it talks about experiencing PT and sukha, you know, these jhana factors. So some people will interpret the Anapanasati as, as talking about developing jhana, and lots and lots of other people will not interpret it that way and say, just like we said, the jhana factors can, and the, can be present in a... You can have PT before you're in jhana, right? Just be blissful. So... I'm just going to leave it at that, that um, just a wide range of interpretations on the Anapanasati Sutta. And I, I don't know, I don't practice out of that Sutta. So I, even though I'm telling you I do breath meditation, I actually don't practice in the 16 steps of Anapanasati Sutta. So, um, oh, one last thing, though, uh, not even talking about Samadhi. You can practice it sequentially through the 16 steps consciously, or again, it can be viewed as, as a description of how practice opens if you just stay with the breath and unfold. So it's just different ways, people. And probably all these ways are good and powerful ways to practice. Okay? All right. Okay. Um, you may want to turn into page. You know, you can always go back through your notes and look closer to... Page 11 of your, let's, let's just spend the rest of the day, we'll practice if we have some time left. But let's just look quickly at some of the controversies surrounding jhana, I mean surrounding samadhi. So I think by now... Um, we can see that it's easy to see why there's a range of views about samadhi. It's easy to understand why there's a range of views about John. It's not like somebody's screwed up or, you know, you're wrong. Why did you, you know, it's like people are honestly, you know, Buddha Gosa was trying to naturally explain, according to his understanding, what some of these fuzzy places in the suttas. It's pretty natural. You can understand there's a lot of things we've already seen that are not so clear. 
you know, some of these formulas are pretty compressed in there. They don't give a lot of detail. Or some of these meditative states, like Tan Jeff was saying, they're subtle and hard to describe. Um, so, you may think of some other controversies that I didn't. But when I thought about it, I roughly divided them into three questions. What is jhana? Are there two paths of practice, samatha, tranquility and insight, samatha vipassana, or is there one path that synthesizes them together? And is jhana necessary for liberating insight? Those are the three questions. Looking back at the texts, that's what I'm saying. I'm not talking from experientially here. This is all looking at the texts. So the first one I just want to take a look at is um, what is jhana? Um, so we know that John is defined by the standard formula. I think one of the biggest disputes regarding John is whether one is aware of the body or not. There's also whether there are thoughts in John. That's how you interpret uh, Vitaka Vichara. Yes. I was. Uh, that reminds me of this last page when. The um, the Sudamaga, it says insight must come while not in jhana, right. which seems like in that idea that um, there it's a physical, more like a physical state with not um, no mind. I mean, the mind is not. You're just wondering why would why would you make a statement that insight can't cannot come while in jhana? Um, no, I'm just trying to understand that um, looking understand that statement uh, that insight must come while not in jhana, right. which kind of made me think of it when you were reading this. What is jhana? Right. Um, whether one is aware of the body. Right. It's not only the body; it could be the body and the mind. And the mind. So. If you're aware of the mind or the body or you have this awareness, then um, according to the Sudhimaga, maybe you're not in jhana. Yeah, if you're aware of your body, according to the Sudhimaga, they're explicit about it. You're not in jhana. Okay. That's different than what's inside and why and all that. But yes, the the Sudhimaga. So so let's just look at it right now. Um. So there's a few disagreements out there. One is um, is whether one is aware of the body while in jhana. Another is what is the what is the nature of this ekagata? Is it this one-pointed, narrow, fixed concentration, right? In which the flow of experiences, I keep saying it over, the flow of experiences is not happening anymore in that moment. Or where the mind is what stops, not the flow of experiences. The mind stops, but experiences can come and go. Right. That's, a, that's a dispute that's out there in the Dharma world. So there, right? um, another one is the nature of Vitaka Vichara, which we're not going to try and answer that question because that's the toughest probably of all. What's Vitaka Vichara? Okay. Um, so let's look at this big question of um, uh, is there body awareness in jhana? So we, we don't have to look at the Fasudi Maga. We already know what they say. No body awareness. So we go back. Let's take a look at the suttas. 
So in, remember, the, earlier this morning we were looking at the John similes. And, I mean, it, uh, it's body, 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 immersing this in the body, suffusing it through the body. It's very much connected with the body. Uh, and not only that, we have those list of 11 other factors and sense contact was one of them and all this stuff. So you would think it's just it's irreconcilable. Well, what the Vasudhimaga says is they say, and I'm going to tell you what they say, and then I'm going to, uh, I am going to try to convince, uh, I guess I am trying to convince this, because I think Vasudhimaga is twisting itself in a pretzel here. And then remember, all of these are real experiences you can have. You can, ex- however we interpret it, you can have the experience where you have a Vasudhimaga style jhana and you don't feel your body, or you can have the mindset. It's all real experiences. So, um, what the Vasudhimaga says is, when the suttas are saying body in relationship to the jhana, they're referring to the, quote, mental body, unquote. Okay, you could say that. Who can tell you can't say that? That's how they're interpreting it. Now, did they come to that interpretation? Here's an interesting question. We can't answer. It's just kind of a rhetorical question. Did the way that people practice change so they started falling into these certain kind of meditative states? And because of that, it changed their understanding of the suttas. Like all of a sudden, wow, we're having these experiences and the body's gone, so that must be what the sutta means. That you don't, it must mean just mental body. Or did the understanding of the suttas change and then people started practicing in a different way in order to have experience like we we can't know. But it's just I don't know, I'm just when you say mental body, is that the same like a mental formation of the body? They just mean they don't I don't know. They just mean the mental it's just purely mental experience. Okay. That's how they mean disconnected from your body. You're just gone in a so for example, we were talking about this morning when the nimitta arises in the Vasudhimaga. You know, it's worth throwing stuff around, but it seems like people are you, you pretty much understand this stuff, right? We're throwing a lot of stuff. Remember the Nimitta and the Vasudhimag and everything, but it, it, people are mostly, I think, nobody's. Okay. Uh, well, I don't know because if in the morning we started shooting it around like this, people would just. Right. So just to recognize, you've actually got a lot of information if you didn't have it before. In the Vasudhimaga, they say if you're working, for example, with the breath, but it could be other practices. They want to have a nimitta arise, and it may be, for example, a mental image. It does not always have to be. You would see a light, for example, in the eyes. And they say when that happens, it's a sign of excess concentration. That's what they call it. There's no excess concentration in the suttas, but the Vasudhimaga calls it that. You let go of the breath, and you put your attention on that nimitta as your meditation object. It's a purely mental. It's experienced as, the, as a visual through the sense of vision, but it's not actually coming through the eyes. It's purely mental. And so you put your attention to that because the concentration keeps strengthening. Eventually, what happens is called absorbing. You kind of just merge into that light. You're in this purely mental realm. So maybe the experience, for example, might be only pure bliss and light. So they call that just pure mental experience. It's not coming through your body or through any senses, but it's just you're just in this experience. So they call it the mental body. I, I don't know. It's not sankaras, if that's what you mean. So, um, how, 
how, well, let's go back. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Something comes to mind when you talk about the Visuddhi Maga jhanas or this absorption. Right. Um, he said it seems like in all of the teachings, it's all about letting go in order to gain some insight. And it seems like the absorption is like any anything that happens in a in meditation when we get onto the mental train of some thought that we're absorbed in that thought and, and then we can't actually benefit from that. So it's almost like if you because you're saying in the Visuddhi Maga jhana you have to come out of that in order to experience some insight and, and Oh yeah, but I'm, there's two different things here. Yeah. So if you go into a, into any of these jhanas, you're not. It's not like being. It's not an absorption. Like you, I wouldn't. So we're using these words. It's not like getting lost in thought, where you're just gone, right? It's not like that. You're you're here. You're very here. In all of these different styles, it's just in a Vasudhimaga style. You don't experience. I mean, I guess maybe it's technically changing, but it's not experiences change. You're just in this fixed concentration as long as the state lasts of maybe it's just pure light or pure bliss and that's all that's happening. And it's kind of it's not like you're not knowing what's happening. It's hard to describe. I mean, there is a knowing of what's happening. But it's just this one kind of unmoved I don't know, I don't know how to describe it, state. The reason you can't do insight in that is how does insight come? In this tradition, it's thought of as insight seeing or knowing deeply one, one or more of the three characteristics, impermanence or change, anicca, dukkha, suffering or unsatisfactoriness, anatta, selflessness. So when we're just kind of absorbed in bliss, that's all that's happening. Those insights, they have their own benefits. I'm not saying it's even for its own sake, they're, they're good states. But from an insight point of view, you're not going to see impermanence because you're not connecting with changing experience. That's the point. Of you need to you need to be out of that so that the mind's not so fixed that and then that it can experience change. Right? And you can experience change with what I'm calling a unified mind. So Let's look back now that we know what the Vasudhimaga is saying. It's saying, um, oh, well, the bo- mental body. Let's go back now to the suttas and say, well, wait a minute, can't, is, does that make any sense? Can we do that? And I want to point to a sutta that I just, on page 11 of your notes, I mention a sutta uh, up near the top. See where I say, under what is jhana, the next bold text says the sutta states explicitly that body awareness is present in jhana. In the paragraph just above that, I mention a sutta that's very important called the Kayagatasati Sutta, Mindfulness of the Body Sutta. And what it does is it takes the first foundation of mindfulness from the Satipatthana Sutta, identical, all six practices, and it reproduces them here. In the first foundation of mindfulness, there's six different practices. They're reproduced here. And it actually adds um, 
the phrase. It talks about the mind. So at the end of each of those six practices, it says the mind becomes internally steadied, quieted, brought to singleness and concentrated. So that's actually taking those six satipatthana mindfulness of body practices and adding that through that the mind's coming to singleness and everything. So that that is actually, just as a side note here, is another piece that strengthens the idea that that's what those practices are meant to do. But then this mindfulness of the body sutta adds a seventh section on jhana. And it repeats the... uh, it just gives you the jhana formula again. Identically, just puts it in there. So it's tagging it on to the other six satipatthana practices. And it says, and that too is how one develops mindfulness of the body. So by doing jhana, it's mindfulness of the body. Now, again, if you want to say that it means, uh, it means the mental body, you can do it. Buddha Gosa did it. And a lot of people think that's, you know, that's, they filter everything through that. But I just would like to point out one thing. This whole sutta is called Kayagatasati, Mindfulness of the Body Sutta. The first six practices are clearly, nobody can say they're about the mental body, right? Do we need to talk about that at all? That's a slam dunk. Right? Clearly, that's the physical body. Adding jhana in here, you could say, well, the Buddha is now all of a sudden switching it to have a completely different meaning. It just doesn't hold water. I just think it's a weak argument. And not only that, but a you would think the Buddha would signal that he's changing the meaning, but there's nothing. It's the same. It's in the sutta. There. It just keeps going. And especially if it's so... Here's the key. If it's so important that it not mean physical body, you think it's not going to say that in there? If that's so key and such a big deal? So again, this is why I said earlier, I think you have to twist yourself in a pretzel to, to make that argument. It ain't. It's like I said earlier, you know, if you want to say that the universe revolves, the sun revolves around the earth, my understanding, please forgive me any physicists or uh, mathematicians out there, but uh, my understanding is, is that you can, you can do it. But it's just a crazy tangle of mathematical equations. You're just like twisting yourself in knot upon knot upon knot. So, it's not the mental body. <laughs> And especially when you add everything, all these other suttas that we've been pointing to that tie it in. You know, if we can go back and pull all these others we've been talking about all day. You, you, you take the jhana factors and you knead it all through the body and all these suttas and all these similes and it's right here. It, it's just pretty clear. So I guess I am trying to convince you on this one. So, so, what, I, so what I'm saying is, so I'm being politically correct by saying body awareness in jhana Vasudhi Maga no experience of physical body and changing phenomena that's true Sutta seems to suggest heightened experience of an insight into the physical body and changing phenomena I think it's pretty clear 
I just felt like I had to stop there. And so really, the truth is, I feel pretty strong, but, but you know, someone can take another view. But so, what, so where I'm ending up saying here is that there's not, like, the Sudimaga's wrong. It's a different, distinct system of practice. That's what I'm saying. That's really my conclusion of, of everything I've done. There's these two distinct systems. And they're all good. That's the good news. So rather than one, we actually got a second powerful, wonderful, enlightening system. <laughs> yeah, this is any of you who are more familiar might want to straighten me out. But I would say as a as a gross generalization, the Vasudhi Maga is very strong in Burma. And much less so in Thailand, maybe Sri Lanka. I don't know about Laos and Cambodia as much. I can't comment on them as much, but I say definitely in Thailand, you know, and there's plenty of, you know, uh, scholars and well, highly accomplished meditation masters, monastics and out there who, who would say the same thing. They may go so far as to say Buddha Gosa got it wrong. But I'm clearly not saying that right over and over. I'm saying and, and that's not that's that's not trying to be politically correct. That's actually saying he interpreted in a way that is different than what is pretty clear in the suttas. And that's fine. And you can practice in that way. But we should know. And that's why when you hear people out there going back and forth now, who's right or wrong, we can understand there's just these different interpretations. There's just different systems. Well, I was, it's, I don't know if it's Burma, but it's, it may be historical reasons I don't, I'm not familiar with about why the Sudimaga interpretation took over there. Um, I don't know. But then there's the whole question of why did the commentary, now the reason the commentaries headed off in this direction had a lot to do with, some of you will know what's called Abhidhamma, or in Sanskrit, Abhidharma. It was sort of a scholastic yeah, boy, I'm get in trouble. But it, it's, it's in the Pali Canon, but it was a particular mental exercise by people who probably weren't practitioners, I'm guessing. And because of its importance, boy, I'm already, it's on the tape, but I, <laughs> I'm in trouble. Uh, already, uh, that's controversial what I just said. So um, um, already, I'm trying to be a little humorous too, but uh, the... Um, The idea in there of individual mind moments and the mind can only take one started, I think, uh, best I can tell, maybe influencing this idea of this one-pointedness kind of concentration and influence the understanding in the commentaries and then out to the city monk. I don't know. Could it be that when you're dealing with monks, I mean, you know, all these unclean things, the snot, the this, the that, the other, so that, you know, is that what maybe was going on? Don't get the monks too into their bodies? Well, I don't know about that because that practice of the body is in the Vasudhi Magga. The, thir- the 32 parts of the body is in the Vasudhi Magga. Oh, I know. That's right. Oh, oh, wait a minute. But it doesn't lead to John. Well. It's not present in So, yeah. So, um, I don't know the answer. I mean, we can, you know, that's interesting too. We can speculate about it. There's more things I can, um, we can get into also around this, but of of, of everything this one connection in the the mindfulness of the body sutta, I think, is is the real. It's the nail on the coffin, 
and uh, everything else is secondary, if it does add to it also. So I will say um, other people may have used this term, but um, I did coin the terms. I'm not, I'm not expecting them to stick or get widespread use. I just want you to know Sutta Jhana and Vasudhimaga Jhana I talk about. I just made up those terms to try and so we knew what we were talking about. Um, but, you know, Someone like Pawak, right here in his interview, he says, well, if you want to understand the suttas, you, you can't understand the suttas unless you understand the commentaries in the Vasudhimaga. So he would say sutta jhana is Vasudhimaga, and that this other interpretation is just, you know, what are you guys talking about? Even though you can have those real experiences. So, okay. Well, down at the end, of, so we'll keep going here. At the bottom of page 11, are samadhi and insight two paths or one? Um, we already know what the Vasudhimaga says, so we talked about the two paths. What does the sutta say? Um, and we know, in fact, that insight has to be a separate path from jhana in the suttas because of the nature of jhana. Um, Let me see what I put on page 12 of your notes. So there's a bunch of quotes. So we're going back to at the top of page 12. Just do this real quickly. We won't go through all these quotes. You can look in more detail. But I'll give you the, the bottom line and then we'll just get, get a few of the quotes. Uh, that what I'm think the suttas are saying when I just look at them uh, without thinking of the Vasudhimaga is that uh, the insight is actually not is happening within the jhana. I don't think that's, it's saying the only way insight happens. You know, insight happens at least in three different ways. When we're in these deep meditative states, in the state itself, there can be direct, deep knowing of impermanence and selflessness and all that. But also when you're meditating and you're not in any deep state and you're just struggling around your knee pain or whatever, there's a lot, maybe even more, I don't know, wisdom around changing experience and how we cling to push away unpleasant. That's an important place where insight happens, not when we're not in samadhi. And when we're walking around in daily life and living our life, it comes out of our practice and then we apply it. So all of these are important places where insight happens. It's not just some meditative state. Uh, I, I think it all, maybe even these others might even be more important for, for wisdom, I don't know. But I do think it, it's saying that, um, just look up here, here's the, qu- the, um, the quote, Anapadasutta. And the state, this is talking about Sariputta, who was one of the Buddha's two chief disciples. And the states in the first jhana, and then this is that list of the five jhana factors plus the 11 other things. The thought, the examination, the rapture, the pleasure, and the unification of mind. Remember, there's the five jhana factors. Plus the contact, that means sense contact is the word. The feeling, perception, volition, and mind. The zeal, decision, energy, mindfulness, equanimity, and attention. Those states were individually determined, defined by him. Known to him those states arose and known they they were present. 
known they disappeared. It says the state's in the first jhana. And it goes on to say that for all the four jhanas and actually even for uh, two of the four arupas, immaterial states too. Okay, So right there it's telling us it's happening in the jhana. Here, another quote. The destruction of the taints. So the taints were those asavas. They're basically like sense craving and there's a, there's a, there's a list of, but it's basically forms of ignorance. With the destruction of the taints, you're enlightened, right? The destruction of taints occurs independence on the first jhana. And listen to this. A monk enters and dwells in the first jhana. Didn't say you come out. You go in the first jhana and whatever states are included there. By, comprised by form, feeling, perception, volitional formations, or, fi- or consciousness, the five aggregates. So you know the five aggregates. He views those as impermanent, as suffering, as empty of self. So it does never clearly separate out. It doesn't say you can't have insight at all without John. We'll get to that in a few moments. Right? But it's certainly pulling these together into one path. There's more. Um, one thing I'm not going to get into here because we just don't have time. But earlier I mentioned a quote that came out of the Fruits of the Homeless Life Sutta, which was this sort of complete list of step by step through the whole path. And it says you get into jhana, and then later it says you do the you, insight. A lot of people take that to mean you do jhana and then you come out of jhana and you switch to this other thing called insight. It never says that in the sutta. It doesn't say you come out of jhana. It just says after attaining jhana, you turn the mind towards insight. Right. So that gets into the whole thing. Is insight happening on its own then or is there a directing of the mind? There's, we can have a conversation about that. But it doesn't say one way or another. that you come, so You could say you come out, but it doesn't ever say that. And when you combine it with these other suttas, I think you could you can go either way you want to go, but I think it's pretty it's certainly I don't see it that clearly separating it out into two paths. Here, in the middle of the page, I entered upon and abided in the this is this is right out of that fruits of the homeless life. This is an important quote. I entered and abided in the first jhana, second jhana, third, the fourth. I left out all the more detailed definition. And when my mind was thus purified, bright, unblemished, rid of imperfection, malleable, wieldy, steady, and attained imperturbability, I directed it to knowledge of the destruction of the tapes. It doesn't say I come out of that state so I'm less purified, bright, more blemished, Less rid of imperfection. <laughs> it just said, I, d- I got into the state and I directed my mind to the state. Seems to me when you're putting all these together, I'm just, you know, the, the suttas have, they, they never, they don't separate out into two paths. And there's a lot more, we're just not going to take time for them. You may, by the way, be interested in that quote at the bottom of page 12. It says, everyone who becomes an arhat does, one, does so in one of four ways. You either get insight preceded by tranquility or serenity. It's here. It's the same word, samatha. Or serenity, tranquility preceded by insight. 
or you develop them together. Or if your mind is, is seized by agitation, but then there comes a time when it becomes steady and unified and concentrated. It's saying that insight and the tranquility aren't the same thing. This is out of the suttas, so they're not saying they're the same thing. You can get very tranquil without insight. You can have some insight without the tranquility. So it's not saying that they, that, 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 that there's, but they're not making it two paths. They're just saying, you know, people can develop in one way, people can develop in the other way. Right? But you have to bring them together. And. That's me talking. That's not in the sutta. Yeah. Well, because it's because let's. Yeah. So look at this. Turn to page thirteen. This this is a follow up to that quote. Look at the very top of page thirteen. When one knows and sees things as they actually are, the noble eightfold path comes to fulfillment in him. Tranquility and insight occurs in him, yoked evenly together. He understands by direct knowledge those things that should be understood by direct knowledge. So you could have a lot of tranquility without much insight, right? That's actually um, that's the path of tranquility in the in the Sudhimaga, right? It's not it's not claiming that that's the path of insight. It's saying it is about sharpening that sharp edge of your knife, so later you can cut through ignorance, right? But that's so you can do that. It's obviously saying you can have insight to some degree without these deep levels of concentration. But it's when you there's a few, some more quotes I didn't have a chance to put in here, but I just didn't have space. But um, it's saying you really want to have them come together. You want the stillness of mind and the insight yoked evenly together. So it's bringing them together into one path. It's not splitting them into two paths. Again, this is a different system. There's the sutta system and the Sudhimaga system. Okay, one last thing. Is jhana necessary for liberating insight? Um, Let's just say this. Um, There's no place in the suttas that clearly says it is or it isn't. We know the answer in the Vasudhimaga. Jhana is not necessary for liberating insight because it's a path of pure insight. In the sutta system, um, I would say this, that first of all, there's stories in the suttas of people hearing a discourse from the Buddha or from one of his disciples. And just upon hearing the discourse, they'll have like maybe stream entry, some deep, I I don't know if it says they become fully arhats, but some deep awakening happens. So from those stories, now we don't know what those people were doing. If you read Ajahn Brahmavamso in his interview here, he says, no, no, they were all doing jhana because he insists jhana is necessary. And he says it's kind of like, it just did, the sutta just didn't talk about what they were all doing before, but it had to be. But I asked Bhikkhu Bodhi about that, and he, and this, he pointed out a story I wasn't familiar with that must be, that's in the... The Vinaya, the monastic code, I think is where it is, but I'm not 100% sure. He says, well, what about those, and I can't, can't tell, so I'm paraphrasing, what about those, those guys who had gone to the park to pick up prostitutes and they heard a discourse from the Buddha and it changed their whole life around and they had this deep insight? 
Bhikkhu Bodhi pointed out, they probably weren't practicing beforehand. <laughs> so, you know, you can interpret however you want here. But, so, but, the, but certainly you can find evidence that say, now we don't know what was going on in those people's minds. Right? You know, if the Buddha's standing here in front of you, maybe, you know, he must have been a very powerful being. His insight, it said he had psychic powers and knew exactly what, you know, maybe you just would go into a concentrated state. I, I don't know. You can, But there is evidence in the suttas that says there is a path of pure insight. But we have to weigh that against. So there's a few places scattered around. We have to weigh that against a huge amount that we've just been touching on today. We haven't had a chance to go into it all. That emphasizes John and Samadhi over and over. And a number of quotes actually and I'll just give you one here. Knowledge of the ending of the taints, it's on page 13 of your notes, as it, act, as it is actually present, occurs to one who is concentrated, I tell you, and not to one who is not concentrated. Concentration is the path. Non-concentration is no path at all. So we have to weigh these against kind of this preponderance of all this other stuff. I declare, O monks, that the destruction of the taints occurs in dependence on the first jhana, second, third, and the fourth. There are three things, the training in higher virtue, the training in the higher mind, and the training in higher wisdom. And what is the training in the higher mind? One enters and dwells in through the jhanas. Of course, then it says this other thing was. So there's a bunch more quotes I could give you that I just didn't, you know, this, the, the notes were just getting to be 15 pages, so I just stopped. But if you want to explore it more, you can, there is more places to explore. But I guess the, what I would say is this. The case for, so there's this model in Theravada Buddhism of four stages of enlightenment, stream enterer, once returner, non-returner, and arahant. If you don't know what that is, you can come up and check, and I've got it up here. You can look in the appendix I listed out and explain what it is. So you're welcome to come look. But it's the four stages of enlightenment. So the first stage of enlightenment, stream enterer, it's a mixed message in the suttas about whether John is necessary or not. It's conflicting. You can find both ways. It's not that it's not clear. It's actually can find conflicting things in the suttas. And the case for the necessity of jhana strengthens and increases with each stage of enlightenment up to arahant. But um, you know, I was being humorous before of saying, "Well, I really want to say, but I, in the in the book, I have to say seems to suggest, but I don't really believe it," which is actually true. There, I don't believe it, but I just felt like I needed to say it that way. Um, for this. Um, um, I, I think it, it's not clear, even for Arahant. I don't think you can say categorically you must have Jhana to be an Arahant. You can't say that in the sentence. But I think, just say it's it's pretty strong uh, correlation. But we'll leave it at that. We, we don't have time for any examples. Well, you see the conclusion for the day. You can read for yourself.
two separate. My conclusion is, is there are two distinct systems in the Pali Theravada tradition. And you cannot judge or understand them except within the context of their own systems. I will also say that from a practice and experiential point of view, people seem to be having not just what, what I might call a pure Vasudhimaga as we've, I've described it today or a pure Sutta as I've described it today, but blends and different variations and lots of ways that people actually experience things. And we could talk about it. We're not going to get into it, but just to say that. Two different systems, two views of, of the path, whether it's one or two, two different kinds of jhanas. And you can read through that conclusion s- section if you want. All right. So here's a question. You can actually answer if you want. It was really meant to just a rhetorical question. Yes. I had said today that one of the goals was, you know, I handed out, I was a nervous, I'm handing out 15 pages of notes and I didn't want people to go crazy, like, oh my God. But I said one of the ideas was, is when it was all said and done, that you would actually feel simplified and more clear. You would kind of have a more of an understanding of these differences, but it would be in a way that, w- that was supportive. And then it would inform choices you made or don't make as far as directions you might want to go in your practice, whether it's no changes or whatever. Or at least inform how you hear now what different teachers are telling you. Um, So you can check out for yourself if that goal has been attained. If you're ending today feeling more stirred up or um, more confused, then I sincerely want to I uh, apologize for that because it not, was not the intention for the day and um, I hope that's not the case for anyone and I'd be happy to talk to you and, you know, you may not want to talk to me maybe if I, if I was <laughs> <laughs> the cause of the confusion. <laughs> you know, just call Gil, help, I was in Richard's class. <laughs> He'll understand immediately and know what to do. <laughs> so anyway, that's it. So, it's 10 minutes after, it's 20 minutes after 4. We officially end in 10 minutes. We actually could go ahead and end right now, but we're not going to do any more. We're done with the curriculum. Let me just check in. Any questions, comments to questions or comments? Just to make sure there's no loose ends. Yes. Would one recognize um, if one was in a jhana state? Sure. Well, yeah, sorry, did I cut you off? No, no. Yeah, so that's an interesting question. So I was having a conversation with Tan, Jeff, and Gil about this because um, one of the questions is people in, say, if you practice with Upandita, that's a teacher whose name a number of you will know, one of Mahasi Sayadaw's students and a great teacher in his own right. And in that practice, which is dry insight, no jhana, they do t- teach jhana, but I mean the, the main practice of, of, of liberation practice is, is a pure insight path. And people seem to be coming, s- certain people for whom it's a good match, it's not a good match for everyone. Like every path of practice isn't a good match for everyone. 
But there are people like Andrea Fella is someone who's gone very that that's been a great match for her. And I think it's gotten a lot of really it's been very powerful. So you could talk to her about it. People seem to be coming to getting good fruit from the practice. So one of the questions I think Gil raised, he says, well, could it be because practicing in that you don't have the the framework to hold what happens within jhana because you're having a you, your your understanding is is that it's coming not in jhana and gil was saying you know could it be that in fact that the insights do come out of jhana and that people are falling into jhana but they don't have kind of the conceptual framework within the, which to hold it when it happens so they aren't recognizing it as a jhana state they're just calling it a deep insight state or something so it may be that there are people who actually would not put the label jhana on that state it's not important whatever labels we put on i remember uh, one of the first times I ever got into, it actually was the first time I ever fell into jhana. Looking back on it, it was very clear. Uh, and I was actually told later, I was practicing at IMS in Barrie, Massachusetts on the East Coast. And I'd been practicing about five weeks and all of a sudden just, boom, I'm just in this state. And it was just like, you know, what is, I mean, I wasn't stirred up in my mind so much, but it was like, okay, something's happening here. You know, it was like, this is pretty cool and all that. And, <laughs> and, and I, well, my mind was corrupted, what can I say? So I, I went to, uh, Joseph Goldstein, and it was happening several days in a row, so I went for my interview and I described, I said, what's happening? I said, what is this? Is this access concentration? Is it John? What is it? He wouldn't put a label on it. He, just, he said, let's just say your practice is going well. <laughs> and he wouldn't put anything. Said, okay, okay. And then, and then I went back, you know, still happening, I went back to my next interview three, four days later, whatever, to Michelle McDonald Smith, and I described it. I think he said, what's happening? And I said, you know, Joseph wouldn't put a label. I said, you know, my access concentration. He says, access concentration? You're in like, I don't know, second John or third John, whatever it was, you know. And as I look back, now that I got, it was falling into those states. And if no one had ever put a label on it. By the way, remember this morning I said that um, Christina Fellman's teacher said that her definition, his definition of first jhana was, you know, you're in for two days, you can't feel your body, and there's nowhere. Well, according to him, he wouldn't have put that label. So it just depends on who's going to, who's calling it. <laughs> the important thing is that we do want to have some understanding of what's happening. I mean, it's kind of clear when you get in those states. It's, the, 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 I said to someone earlier, and I meant to say to the group, in my own mind, this is just me, the defining feature, a, a, a primary defining feature of jhana is this ekagata, whether you call it one-pointedness or unification of the mind. It's this unifying, coming together, collecting of the mind, and the mind cannot wander. It's not liable to wander while you're in the state. It's fixed, it's unmoving, whether it's fixed on a point or open and receptive and fixed. And the practice is happening on its own. The mindfulness is lucid and... It's a distinctive state. And if something like that happens, you know, that's what I would call. Okay. Oh, good. I'm glad it was. Okay, well, good. I'm glad to hear that. Thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, it's good to know. Because, um, you know, this really, I mean, obviously I don't want to, this isn't of any use if it doesn't support our practice. And it's even of less use if it's confusing and not even from an intellectual point of view. So thank you. I appreciate that. 
Hey, Ruth. Yes. Is it on? Okay. When you're in a jhana state, do you feel loving kindness, compassion? Um, what the other two? There's equanimity and uh, yeah. tran- joy. Well, so what I would say is this. I don't think there's one answer to that, so I need to be careful. But what I would say, just, and I, you could talk to other people about it. Um, certainly, what I found in general is as I become more concentrated, even forget whether you're in John or whatever, my heart just tends to naturally, a lot of times, be more open and loving. Um, I do think there are also some states where the, it's so much of a stillness and an equanimity that maybe the actual, that you would, your heart would just be open, but maybe it's not such an active experience of metta, of loving kindness or compassion, because maybe it's, it's gotten so still. Mm-hmm. So it could kind of be both, depending on how the level of stillness, mm-hmm. uh, I guess, I would say. Thank you. Okay. So we're, we've got five minutes, but it looks like we're still taking you. So, if, you know, people might be restless and tired and hungry, but, you know, we're almost there. Not just to alleviate your mind, but I would say that um, it was more confusing before knowing that there were these structures. It, made a, it makes a lot more sense when you see, well, this is what happened, and then this is what happened. Right. Well, that was the idea. So, well, that definitely came very... Oh, good. Through. Thank you. Yes. Okay, yes. well, good. You're making me happy. Very much so. Yeah. You know, it's not like everybody was confused out there in the world, but, but there were all these different voices and different books and different this and everything, and it was, that was the whole idea. Can we step back and sort of just take the big look at p- the picture and then see where it all fits? And the other answer, of course, is, is that what this means is whatever way you're practicing doesn't matter what it is there's going to be many many other ways that you're not practicing you can't right you'll just have to pick what well i came here because i didn't know really what samadhi was or what and john states i i had a vague idea yeah so i appreciate yeah. understanding better okay good good and so now, if you know, it depends on your interest if you want to practice in a way that can do that or not. Um, I've asked a number of teachers their opinion if they think anybody could attain jhana. And um, uh, I don't think it's important because we just practice and you get what you get. And, you know, let's just let our minds be at peace and not cling. But because um, um, I don't know the answer to that. I'm not experienced enough. I tend to have a feeling that probably most People can, but they were saying unless you're dealing with maybe some kind of illness or had a brain injury or that might be a different story. Who knows that most people can, you know, pretty much anybody can. It's just a question of um, if if you're inclined to or not. Some of us aren't inclined. Some are. And if if you practice. Oh, okay. Looks like we're not going to get to end with metta, but uh, because we've got two minutes. But, you know, maybe we can just generate our own metta. (laughs) I just wondered if you wanted to mention the retreat you're teaching in May, a concentration oh, retreat. Sure, I, I can saw listed on the spirit yeah. Book. So spirit let me just mention real quickly. That'll be a good way to end. Um, is advertising myself. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so there's two things I'll mention actually. So Spirit Rock every year has a retreat in in the spring. So it's in May, and I'm going to be one of the teachers this year. It's called the concentration retreat. It's a 10 day. Now, by the way, it's interesting. Because by the fact that they have a retreat called the Concentration Retreat, that tells you something, right? It tells you all these other retreats, they're, 
so concentrate something different than a Vipassana insight meditation retreat. Well, it's right, because it's all the Sudhimaga stuff. Now, it happens in this retreat, the four, uh, Sally Clough, Adrian Ross, Eugene Cash, and myself. I'm subbing for Philip Moffat, who's away. Now there's two people, me and um, uh, um, um, Eugene and I, who were kind of coming from a sutta perspective. Now, I'm a guest there. I'm going to teach whatever they want, if they want to do a Vasudhi Mark, because they're going to be saying, now, we're doing concentration. That's something different from insight, and it can be, even in the sutta's approach. So how they're going to emphasize it, I'm not sure, but I think we're going to bring in more of these other voices. And then, In the beginning, it's all the same. In the beginning, you stay with your object of concentration. It's what happens when it starts to strengthen. Do we want to go more exclusive or do we want to start steering it more inclusive? But up until that point, it's, it's all the same. So that's something I don't know if there's spaces in that retreat or not. I don't know, but I'll be one of the teachers. And the second thing is, if any of you might, some of you have already put your name on that sign-up list, is, um, you know, I've taught maybe, I don't know, 20 or so residential retreats. Most of them I get invited, you know, Spirit Rock mostly, but through IMC. And I'm just this next year starting to organize some of my own retreats for the first time. And they're going to be in the style, won't be talking, it's going to be practice. <laughs> And they're going to be of breath meditation in the style that, um, you know, heads as far in towards samadhi as you want, but brings in the insight. It sort of synthesizes it together rather than separate. So if you're interested even to know about it, you could pop your name on the sign-up list. The email goes up maybe twice a year is all. So, and um, that will be happening in October, if I can line up a cook, uh, at Chikoji. And then there's hopefully there'll be maybe a couple of those a year or something. So that's another one. So I thank you for. So it's exactly 4:30. Um, I'd like to take 15 seconds. I'm timing, so I won't go over, and ask you to. Uh, well, sometimes I say like take a minute, and it ends up to be five. Uh, I'm aware I can be a prodigious word generator. It's just kind of how I am. Um, take just a few seconds, if you will. Check in with your own experience in your body and your mind. Whatever that is. might not be much going on. Or maybe you're tired or restless, happy, unhappy, whatever. And I would also invite you to notice how are you relating to or being with your experience. So even if it's unpleasant, can there be a sense of allowing and letting be? Just meeting it with your mindfulness. And then the last, if not, bring some acceptance for that place that's no, cannot be with this and let it be. Sorry I don't have more time, but we're doing it quickly. Last thing is, I hope you'll bring some appreciation for your own good qualities. You know, this has been a long day, tiring day. And you spent a day reflecting on these different ways that the practice is understood and just of how that's hopefully of benefit to inform your own practice. And, and so, um, you know, you could have done anything today, but you spent the day reflecting on these Dharma teachings. There's some appreciation for your own good qualities. So it was nice to hang out with you. I appreciate it. Uh, you guys were great. <laughs> Perhaps I'll see some of you again in the Dharma world or wherever.